In this episode of Brewer's Perspective, we're looking at product recalls. Based on a throwaway mention of product recalls being normal in a recent episode of Radio Brews News, I contacted Food Standards Australia New Zealand for data. Ten years of information followed. From my point of view, the mandated national product recalls represent the above-the-water aspect of an iceberg, with much deeper and broader issues lying beneath. Today we're joined for the discussion by Dermot Morda, Quality Manager for Endeavour Drinks, who sees not just the tip, but the whole iceberg. We wanted to discuss what's happening and why, and also whether recalls should be accepted as part of doing business as a craft brewer. Hey guys, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, nice to be here. Looking down the tree a little bit, as I said, the, uh, the, the pointy end is definitely what happens at the federal level, whereas a wholesaler, you need to be um, registered, you need to have a recall plan in place. Um, specifically, those numbers showed a lot of flags in the last two or three years, uh, and the common theme was looking like overcarbonated, over higher alcohol levels being the problem. So with, with the challenges, I guess, of trying to be super dynamic in the marketplace, use new ingredients, new methods, uh, the shelf life expectations in the retailers, can you just throw the normal playbook away for, for making beer and, and pretend it doesn't exist, or do you have to still play by the rules? You need to play by the rules. Uh, I think as a you know a food manufacturer, you have a responsibility to uh, provide to market a, a safe product that's uh, not going to pose an injury to uh, your customer. Um, so yeah, I think uh, product safety is it's paramount. Uh, there's no leeway in putting out to market a, a product that can potentially hurt or injure uh, somebody, and doing that knowingly. Um, I think the the recalls that we have been seeing are you know, good indication of issues uh, been picked up and then the corrective the corrective actions needed then were to remove that product from the market. I suppose the issues, yeah, we, we are, we have seen a an increase in uh, recalls in relation to uh, secondary fermentations. Um, I think aligned to that though is definitely the growth of craft beer um, within the Australian beer market. And the the growth, the increase in the number of breweries as well. So I think the, the two are quite aligned. Uh, coming back then to uh, so number of the issues that were identified here in the list, um, a lot of these products just weren't pasteurized. I think you know as time has gone on as well, uh, the brewers have become more aware of the I suppose the potential risks that um, that can occur with beer that isn't pasteurized. And have actually, you know, this. I suppose this awareness has helped uh, improve the quality of beers generally. Is there some sort of situation, though, obviously, where pasteurization is viewed as the, the last bastion of kind of crossing the line and not being craft anymore, and then going down that path? Are these yeah. are these just excuses for for you know not making well, it's, a stable it's, product? It's not cheap either, is it? So no, it's not a. It's not. It's a big expense, a big investment in your business to be able to put a pasteurizer in yeah i think it, well it's going back then to uh there's a couple of ways you'd look at it that product that you're about to release to market how well do you know it like have you done your um have you done a micro analysis on it uh, are you doing a positive release so just before you even consider sending it to uh to the stores do you um do you do you do your analysis for micro just to confirm that uh you've got low counts uh, if you've got low counts, uh, you know that you've got good control on your uh, process, then obviously the likelihood then of an issue occurring further than 
with the retailer uh, has been minimized. Uh, I think, yeah, obviously pasteurization does give you that uh, safety net, but it, I, I totally agree with you. It's not something every uh, brewer can afford or wants to consider, but uh, having it there certainly uh, gives a, the brewers I talk to uh, a great level of comfort that uh, these kind of issues just won't be, uh, you know, won't occur for them. But uh, there's plenty of mar- beer coming into the market these days from craft brewers that isn't pasteurized. And uh, yeah, we're not, you know, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's an endemic issue that we're seeing widespread, but I think just with the volume of beers that we're now seeing enter the market, uh, obviously we've seen, uh, we have seen that increase as well. But I think it's it's quite related to uh, just the, the sheer number of uh, new uh, new breweries coming into the market. So I think we talk we talk a little bit about this acceptability of this process. I mean it's not it's not new to be to have refermentation. It's been it's not something that just happened last week. We've seen refermentation issues over the last you know, five, six more years. I've been personally responsible for some <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, I, I guess what's what's yeah, yeah, now that it's very recognisable that that is a problem with craft beer, and uh, you know, brewers, you know, brewers are well aware. Uh, what what is acceptable? What what would be considered um, well, an accident, and what's? I, th- I think to, to to take it back half a step, could could you, could you perhaps quantify the the expectation of shelf life and the storage conditions that would happen typically in a store? Uh, okay, so shelf life really, it's, uh, you know, we follow the, I suppose, what the brewer puts on the, the product. Um, you know, we don't, I suppose, what I would make it clear is we don't stipulate that it must have a particular shelf life uh, above. Like if some brewers will give us a, a beer and it's six month shelf life, no issue there. I think uh, we do, we have challenged brewers that have come in and said, oh yeah, my beer is good for a year and a half. And then, you know, we're, we're asking questions there just to please explain, because I think, you know, the majority of beers that we sell would have a shelf life between, say, six months to uh, 12 months. Anything above that really is, you know, it's not just from a safety issue. It's just a, a quality uh, concern that, you know, over time, beers age. Some styles age better than others, and you actually want the age, you know, if it's like an imperial stout or, you know, some barrel age. But uh Having a, a like a, a nice fresh IPA that's you know, and comparing it to something that's now like say ten or twelve months old, uh, yeah. I, I, so, on even on a personal level, my preference is always you know fresh is best in that in those cases. But um, you know, just with I think time and you know time on shelf, um, most of the stores we've got now would be um, a lot of the beers are actually stored uh, in the fridge. Uh, we do have ambient, but the the, the stores are air conditioned. Um, I think the you know if you're moving stock around the country, um, unless it's cold chained, then yeah, you're at the mercy of you know who's moving it and the conditions they're uh, putting it through. And if it's moving then through the heat of summer, obviously that's just going to be an age issue as well. But um, you know, with that said, like, it's not something that, you know, we're seeing a lot of now at the moment, you know, touch wood, but um, there was a spike, you know, about a year, I think about it, oh, 
two years ago, probably. We just we did see it, it was something that was becoming quite prevalent. We did we did get active with the with the industry. I suppose got the message out there. Got, uh, did a lot of talking with Matt, you know, just to really kind of hammer home the the issue and really get brewers aware that this was something we were seeing and and basically recalls uh they are if they if you got to do it you got to do it and it's necessary to uh, protect your consumer um and the brewers i've done it i've actually done a really good job in you know addressing that and then you know moving on the the i suppose the fixes that they've put into place we haven't then seen any other uh, subsequent issues come up we we have a bit of a kind of mocking tone uh, around here when we conceptualize that somebody did a good recall is kind of the catchphrase because it sounds like something that just doesn't make any sense. Doing a good recall really is uh, getting the message out there. Like, and it's it's not something anybody really wants to do. The you know it's they see it and immediately the people are concerned over you know the impact to the brand's reputation. Uh, what, what what's the general public going to think? But I think the maturity level we've seen and just the the approach that you know some of the communication on it has been quite good. I think it's just something that, you know, if it happens, it, it has to happen. And sometimes there's situations that are just, you know, uh, completely, I suppose, unforeseen as well. Um, you know, they, if somebody had a, uh, I suppose, a contaminated batch of barley even, and they didn't pick it up, and then, you know, they get that notification from their malt supplier that there's an issue, and they've got to then do a recall, uh, it's just really then, you know, uh, making sure you've got the ability to, um, I suppose, track where your product's gone, get a prompt uh, message out to the consumer and then removing it from shelf. So, I mean, one of the ways I, I view things is perhaps a little bit different, but in order to get to the point of doing a recall, you've got internal standards. Presumably, you've you've failed to apply those if they exist and... You've, you've exceeded those. You've got too much yeast in the bottle. You've got in the can yeah. too many refermentables. So you've kind of missed the boat at that level. And then you've also had the opportunity to do a voluntary withdrawal or a voluntary recall. So that there are steps of escalation before you get to an official, you know, mandated product withdrawal. So when you're saying mandated, you're going like... Um, Newspaper advertisements, you know, the, yeah, full, yeah. the full job, yeah, with uh, notifications in each each state, um, the whole show, yeah, through a percent. Yeah, so I suppose there's a couple of levels of, of, of activity you can do. Um, first one we'd see probably is uh, oh, somebody... We do the withdrawal and recall is a bit different. So mm. we've got a distribution centre withdrawal. So that's basically uh, stocks just uh, taken out of the uh, DC and returned back to the supplier. Uh, then uh, we've got a store level withdrawal. We'd be taking uh, product off shelf. Um, may not, and it's not necessarily a, maybe a food safety issue. This could be, you know, barcodes incorrect or uh, there's a labeling issue. Then you would have a recall, and that's the recall. Then is basically stepping it up where you're actually communicating with the customer directly through social media, uh, newspaper uh, point of. We'd have a, a shelf talker put up at the point of sale, and also at the register, just notifying the customer that this product's uh, gone into a recall. I think with the process piece, yeah, it can. Listen, you could some of it's. I suppose can occur when you don't have the right process in place. 
Uh, some of it is, you know, like I said, with, you know, if, if a supplier gives you an ingredient that's contaminated and you just happen then to use it and you, you know, the specs or the C of A said it was all right, but then becoming aware that there is an issue, you know, that's something that, you know, it's, it can happen. It can happen even when you think you've got the control. I think the, the key, the critical thing is knowing that you can do it. So that's when I would go, you got to have a protocol in place. you got to know just that kind of like it's your fire drill. So you do your mock recall, mm. you identify, I suppose, what you can, what, what, what worked well, what didn't work well, and then basically just ensure that if you ever had to do one, you know, touch wood, that uh, you were comfortable that you'd be able to do it within, a, you know, a set time frame and do it effectively. So, Dermot, you, you work with you know, very large and very small uh, suppliers of beer in the industry yeah with with the i assume with the larger guys and with the guys that are uh that are owned by bigger breweries their systems are, are pretty good uh what what do you see with the smaller guys and that you know because there's been a bit of a drive to have uh you know locally supplied craft beer in you know across the country so you know you're gonna do you're gonna have to deal with very small independent brewers what what sort of level of quality systems do you see in place at at some of those guys? And you know, do you are you really having to school them um, to some extent? Or um, yeah, well, going back then to what was it the two years ago? Um, I actually did do uh, a, a, basically a trip around Australia with the purpose of visiting uh, a lot of our small uh, brewers um, and really just get to understand what was happening from their end. Um, so I think, you know, having done that, the the, the, the common themes were, uh, I suppose, just a lot of these guys would have come in from being home brewers and, you know, wanted to then take up the, you know, getting more of an, in, become an industrial brewer. And I think the challenge always there is uh, if you're a small business, uh, you run the business and th- there's a lot of functions within, within a business that you need to be responsible for. Um, and trying then to pick up your skills around quality management as well is a skill that you, you do need and it's an important function. But um, resources are tight and it was just really then, I suppose, uh, at that point, just really kind of hitting the getting the message home to the guys, the importance of really uh, good quality control and the, just even having the bare minimum of like a HACCP plan at your brewery, how important that was. Uh, a lot of brewers at the time weren't even weren't aware of HACCP, et cetera. So, you know, that was something I would, I would talk to them about. You've got different, you know, other standards as well, like um, uh, BRC, but, you know, the, the BRC standard is quite a, um, I suppose, a, a high level. Um, just at a minimum, though, I think uh, HACCP was something that I was um, I was promoting to uh, the brewers I spoke to. Um, I think then as well, just that whole piece around uh, knowing what your product looks like in the market. Uh, brewers would, you know, not have holdbacks. Um, process in place so really i think that was critical as well and a lot of brewers i spoke to they actually then got that in place they basically know then if an issue does occur they've got a library of samples and you know they, they'll know it before then the customer knows it and they could even then just pull stock back rather than a, a, a recall because it, they can action it that quickly um i think the piece around you know 
Dystaticus as well. So Dystaticus became a bit of an issue. And again, it was just basically building up people's understanding of what micro, uh, what yeah, so what contaminant, what micro contaminants could be uh, potentially affecting their beer, and really then just be, what kind of, I suppose, processes they need to put in place at the brewery to minimise the likelihood then of uh, micro contamination occurring. Are you, are you putting in any stipulations to to these guys, no. or you know, like no, positive no, no, positive no, release no. or? Oh, I think it's not – I wouldn't see it as my role to set what what they should be doing at the brewery. I think my expectation – the expectation I set is that uh, we, we, we get a product that is great quality and safe. That's that's it. Uh, I'll certainly – if anybody asks me a question on what would I recommend uh, that they do to help ensure that, definitely I would give recommendations. But I wouldn't be stipulating that you must have this in place, and you know, we're otherwise we're not going to work with you. I think it's good to have a discussion around what you do have in place, and then just give it uh, guidance and advice. But it's certainly, you know, I, I wouldn't be uh, mandating it. But I think it's, you know, it's it's good practice. It's it's you you, you want a product that uh, you're comfortable, you're you know, you're comfortable with. Uh, recalls are they're not cheap, quite expensive. Uh, you know, so you 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 you're taking a financial hit to your business, you're taking a, a reputational hit to your brand. Um, yeah, so I think you know, putting the the work up front to minimise the likelihood of it ever occurring, and putting that investment in place, it, it's certainly it's certainly money well spent. Anthony, with your experience with a lot of startups, um, how do you kind of guide them down that product retention, you know, accelerated aging type model? What do you do? You have a standard set of concepts. The, the retention samples are just such a such an easy place to start. It is an easy place to start, but if we're talking about brew pubs that are selling uh, that are selling across the bar yep. mainly, uh, rather than in retail space, so there's you know, there is some reluctance to to give up some of their cool room to um, to house. So old it takes samples. up space. It's beer you can't sell. Looks like money down the drain. It, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, one of the things is it necessary if you're just selling it across your own bar to uh, to have that? I mean, you've got to take into account what are the other things you've got in place, I guess, within the brewery to ensure that you're not you're not seeing these issues where you need to worry about beer beer being you know coming back and having complaints and and that sort of thing. So, uh, I think the place to start with the with the Startups is more just having a spec sheet um, and trying to work to uh, meeting those specifications and understanding what's going wrong if you're outside of them and taking some responsibility for for those uh, those uh, out of spec results. Or um, I mean, it's, there's out of spec and then there's out of you know release. So you've yeah, well, I mean, food safety is probably the one that you know they need to worry about. Is it is it going to cause a food safety risk? Then you, you know, you've got to make that call because I mean, I think there's a lot of commercial decisions being made sometimes, uh, and you know when there's a lot of money riding on things, any money, yeah, when there's a lot of money riding on things, you, you can make some decisions that maybe aren't in the best interest of food safety uh, versus you know getting some revenue. 
back in the door when cash flow is a problem. So and if you're very skilled and you have a good quality program, you can get away with some risks. And if you don't, you tend to get burnt. I would say the more quality systems you've got in place, the uh, you're just watching. You're watching. You're more aware of what's going on out there in the marketplace. So, yeah, I would I would suggest that you've got a better. Uh, yeah, you've got a better understanding of what's happening and a better understanding of the risk that you know, that you're entering into, and that and I think it helps make you makes better decisions. Like I, I think sensory panels are one of the most important things we can do because they're they're um, allowing you to make decisions that are not that are more commercial because or more uh, sensitive because you're you're actually taking the time out to. You know, to really understand your product and what's going on. And I think, Dermot, like for, for you, like I imagine you see a wide range of of specifications and or, or quality systems in place at various different breweries. I mean, with the guys that are just starting up and want to go large, they're, they're getting straight into packaging from mm. almost the, the they day won. they open the door. Yeah. Um, what do you see as the challenges for those for those types of businesses? I think the biggest challenge then is, yeah, the, the how much knowledge and capability you've got in that space to do it, to do it well. Um, I, I think initially when, you know, the, the, you make a good point then when uh, I suppose we were at the point where a lot of brewers were moving to can and brewers were getting can lines into the breweries, setting them up and just running with them. Uh, biggest issue we saw there were uh, just leaking cans. Cans not properly seamed, uh, you know. But well, I think you, the great you've been thing, there, buddy. I've, yeah, I've been there. I've, <laughs> yeah, I admit it happens. Absolutely, yeah. you, you've got to have a lot of checks and balances in place to make sure yeah. that you're looking after that process. So that was, you know, and when we saw that, we we actually went out to a lot of brewers and shared with them the EBC standards for uh, canning. You know, like your seam checks, everything, as much information, then we could get it back uh, to the brewers on how to do it well. And basically what we were seeing, that's actually had a, a massive impact. So I think over time, uh, you know, I definitely the I think the, the level of capability we've got now is so much better than it was, say, even two years ago. Like the, the the number of issues that we're, we're we were getting then is you know it's just I think the quality's come up a lot actually um, it's certainly not an issue that I would say uh, I'd be as concerned as I was two years ago um, I think the point you made around the, the holdback yeah it, it really is depending on you know why you know what's your risk and if you're selling beer only over the bar then. Uh, you wouldn't need it. You're 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 right there to coalface. I think the the, the holdback issue is when you let that beer go into market, and you want some you want some connection still to that batch. So if there is a particular issue, somebody you know it, it could be as much as somebody says, "Oh, listen, you, the beer's tasting off." So not a food safety issue. Uh, there's something not right tasting right with the beer. If I've got a start, middle, end of that particular batch. All I need to then go grab it, go into my library, pick it up, taste it. And I might then identify the same issue and go, right, that's not the way it was intended. Uh, We'll just pull that stock. So that's just a withdrawal. Um, But then again, if somebody says I've had an illness, it's great then to be able to 
uh, pull that sample, get it analyzed, make sure that there isn't any issue with it. And it's, you know, it may just be relevant to the person. They've got something happen with them and it's not anywhere connected to your product, but that gives you that level of, uh, I suppose, comfort that you can actually look at the product yourself uh, quite uh, immediately and just confirm whether there is an issue. It's a pretty easy one, isn't it, Dermot? Just to, yeah. and you've made the point as well. I mean, I imagine you're probably doing something uh, where you are, but yeah, for sure, yeah, it, you know, it's it's not that difficult, is it? You you just hang on to a few of your samples and you put a practice in place, and it's it's so easy for you to lose control of of where your beer is going as soon as it leaves the the door because it's going through so many hands and. You know, we, we don't have a cold supply chain in Australia, so you can almost guarantee that it's going to get warm. Yep. There's always that one email from 12 months ago where somebody's got a brand you made once. and Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a really good place to start is hold back. What, what, else, what else would you recommend? Well, I, I'd go back to HACCP. Like The beautiful thing about HACCP is what is it? It's really knowing your process. So uh, you're talking, you know, flow charting your entire end-to-end process from the receival of your uh, raw materials, be it packaging, uh, uh, your hops, your malt, um, you know, what's happening, how you, you know, working out how each of those then is, uh, works its way into the process. And then within that process, uh, to your point with the specs, obviously you've got a spec for your beer, but then uh, that then fits into the passive piece by then setting the, uh, I suppose, uh, quality and critical control points. So it, at each step of the process, um, you're checking a particular, uh, I suppose, quality parameter and making sure that if everything's in spec here, then I've got it right. And then moving all the way through from, you know, uh, from your brew day to, uh, you know, pa- your pack run. Having that map of the process clearly, really gives you a, a good understanding of, uh, I suppose, where things can go wrong. And if things do go wrong, then you've got records of uh, issues. Oh, you basically got full records of, say, uh, your it's a fermentation, for example. If you're collecting the information for your fermentation and tracking it from start to finish, you're building a profile. Uh, you build you, you, Your pattern, you will actually have this pattern of uh, your fermentation profile that you can actually then over time be able to then identify if there is an issue because suddenly that pattern's changed then you you know if you're not like that's the most i suppose a a really basic example but doing that all the way through uh your various processes from um from your brew day through to the cellar through to packaging really gives you that level of uh comfort and uh knowledge of what your process should be and then if it's out, then you're, you're able to pick it up and address it there. And it, addressing it there, uh, you may be able to do what needs to be done just to be able to uh, fix it. Uh, but it basically means that, you know, when somebody drinks your beer, they're enjoying it. Are the small guys doing this? Or is it, or is it pretty, uh, is it few and far between? A number of them are, yes, definitely. And I think if you're not, uh, you, you, you're going to lose control. Like it's, it just makes, it's, it's it's just a good way to brew beer, uh, you know. <laughs> it really is. You gotta you gotta know your process. You 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 gotta be that familiar with it that you know if something does go amiss that you you, you can pick it up straight away. Like I think you know certainly, I don't think it's yeah. The, I'm not sure everybody's doing it, but uh, 
the ones that are, uh, they they will benefit. And you you know, like you said, with costs costs are a consideration. And you know, there, there's the cost and on quality can you know lead to your business being you know insolvent. It's just it's just not worth the risk. Mm. Absolutely. It might be worth just a quick moment to, to sidestep and um, just give some ideas. A, a lot of the people listening to us are kind of maybe in the earlier days of a brewing career or about to transition okay. to a brewing career. So just yep. a, a little bit of uh, concept on the, on the HAZAP, the HACCP. Uh, maybe you could say a couple of words, Anthony. I've got, I've got it up on the screen so you can cheat, but, you know, it's, it's hazard analysis. Um, hazard analysis, critical control point. Yeah. I mean, Dermot's explained it pretty well. It is, you know, first part of HACCP is you just look at all the inputs and all the outputs in your brewery. You go through. This is specifically about food safety. This is looking at food safety. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you can design it for quite like food safety, I suppose, is the pinnacle, but having it in place actually then has the impact that your, the quality of your products, uh, protected as well so you can add qcps instead of ccps and oh yeah quality 100%. yeah yeah you got your quality control points but then you got your critical control points and your, your critical control points really are around that last point of safety so once the so if i'm looking say for your hazards would be physical uh chemical and micro- microbiological uh, yep biological and that's something that's actually coming up now with the the low and non alcohol beers mm. uh, but you know uh, micro uh, infections like guinness did uh, you know they had a, a really a bit of a shocker there back in i think uh, 2020 yeah was that was that just in the us or was it worldwide no it was the uk market so okay. they were doing it was the official launch for their um, their uh, zero alk uh, guinness into the into the british market and i think two weeks later they had to do a full recall because uh, a micro issue, not a good look. Yeah, and that's no, it's it's not, it's not. So I think you know, uh, there's definitely a move now within the market uh, right now towards uh, low and uh, non-alk uh, beers. So I think that's something now that's you know that 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 to me is the the, the new concern, and it's really that's where I go pasteurization. Yep. Yeah, you you really need to make sure that your products uh, secure and stable on that yeah. front. And that's that's probably something that's happening in the last little period because CCPs. If you had a can line, you've you've removed glass in bottle. Uh, so really, your biggest issue is contamination from chemicals. If you're following a traditional brewing process, you're not really seeing too much food safety issue if you're using a fairly traditional brewing process. But mm-hmm. now that we're getting into this low alcohol and You've, redef- you've redefined the product. We have. And so you know, HACCP becomes so much more important because one of the CCPs is biological and you know, it is a, it is a food, it's a serious food safety risk once you're getting into these very low and low you know, and zero alcohol beers. If you are not uh, pasteurizing, you can, you can um, have pathological organisms growing. Uh, and so... Uh, it is a topic of conversation with the with the IBA as well, but yeah, uh, you know, have we got? I guess we just recently did a a, a piece on you know, uh, resourcing in the brewing industry, and we know that there's lots of breweries popping up, and we don't have enough brewers around. Is it the same for quality people? Like, are we seeing seeing a low in quality people? Is it hard to? Well, you've got a growing 
business over there like i'm sure you need quality people it is challenging um i, I guess the one advantage is that quality as a concept and, and as a, a level of training is cross industry so it's much easier to bring somebody across one of my best lab people ever she came from a forensics background so nice. that yeah. that transition's possible where you know a general manufacturing person can't jump in and just start making beer but a quality person because the systems are very similar can jump in and work their way around it so there's probably a little bit more flexibility there because i mean the contest we're talking about with hasip it's not uh it's it's not at your startup type level brewery where you've got home brewers um putting recipes together and then starting a brewery we're we're talking you know where you need some insight into food safety and food technology to really start thinking about getting into low low alcohol in that area And again, you've redefined the product when you're doing that. Yeah. Um, and you've taken one of the advantages or perceived advantages of, of beer and beer with alcohol is that it's pathogen-free. So mm. that's uh, obviously not the case anymore. No, that's true. It used to yeah. be. Uh, yeah. That was yeah. a great thing about beer. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably led to complacency as well. So. Yeah, I don't know if they compla- I, I think it's just... Uh, Again, it's it, it, we're coming up with a, a new. We're, we, yeah, you've redefined what a, a beer can be. Yeah, I, I think you know five years ago the idea of a, a beer with no alcohol was, uh, yeah, was quite a. It wasn't really take. What hadn't really taken to the market. Uh, I think the drive for you know uh, products that are better for you uh, around not not having alcohol. Uh, certainly has driven uh, the popularity of these products now. And I think, you know, new products, new issues, it's just basically making sure that, uh, you know, like you did with HACCP, uh, knowing what the hazards, potential hazards can be, and then just ensuring that you've got the, the required controls to, uh, I suppose, ensure that they don't, you minimise the, the, the likelihood of it occurring. It's going up. Recalls were going up as we headed into 2021. I guess what we're curious about is are you seeing you know underneath that tip of the iceberg are we seeing loads and loads of withdrawals to do with uh with food safety no general no no not a, not really not at all i think the, the 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 majority of withdrawals that we're doing the bulk of them would be around say uh labeling so uh labeling that didn't comply to the food standards code so you might have incorrect standard drinks uh abv Etc. So we're, we're we're taking product off shelf. We're doing uh, we're essentially reworking it. So we've got the capability to do uh, relabeling at a store level. Sure. Um, you may also have issues with say barcodes not scanning correctly. You know, just really withdrawals. You know, generally for us, uh, non food safety related. Uh, we may have uh, we may do withdrawal potentially for a potential issue while we're investigating. And then just work on you know next steps from there. I think there's been a, a couple of recent recalls we did, and we would have actually initiated a, a withdrawal just to get the stock off shelf. Uh, suppliers then done their investigation and confirmed that the issue is uh, uh, product or uh, food safety related, and then we've then had to do uh, we've then done done the recall. But even by that stage, uh, the product the affected product would have been off uh, would have been removed from. Uh, shelf with those labeling challenges you mentioned who's who's policing those or who's flagging those uh well believe it or not it's actually the a lot of the time it's the stores so uh our store teams uh as they're putting the product on the shelf they'll actually uh do a quick inspection of the label some of them know how to do the calculation on standard drinks 
and uh, I'll get it. We'll get, you know, basically we've got a, I suppose, an internal uh, system uh, similar to what we would have for our uh, customers. If they email us or give us a, a call on a, a product issue, stores can register product issues themselves. It all comes into a, a central hub in the business uh, with the product uh, uh, quality safety team. And they're then reviewing it. And then if the issue's uh, verified, uh, we'd then take action. It's great that you've got the people in your in your organization that are capable of doing that. But it seems like it's already gone through to the keeper at that point. It's they're just surprising. Oh, yeah. Well, it has. Uh, I think, well, obviously, we're not doing inspections at the gate. So yep. at the DC, we're not opening stock and doing the, the checks. I think if it's coming into the country, it's getting imported uh, there's definitely the, the Department of Agriculture. They're looking at the, the labels, but I think once it enters our business, you know, I think the expectation we have for our suppliers is they do meet the, the food standards code. Uh, if we identify that there is a, a non-compliance to that, then you know we do need to uh, get some, basically get action in place to address the issue, depending on what it is. Well, I mean, you just blown away, Anthony. Or yeah, I think it's. I think it's a good. It's a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, if you're getting it into a store though at, at retail level, you know, it says to me that we've got some we've got some issues you know, internally that you know we're fast tracking things, and I, I think that's a factor of the industry we're in. We're trying to get new beers out week on week, almost some of them. But no, that is week on week. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's got to be a real challenge internally. You need you need lots of clever people and staff um, labeling all over that sort of stuff. So labeling's pretty challenging as well, in the sense that there's there's more than one compliance organisation, so there's no one stop shop. Um, uh, look, I'd put a plug in here for the yeah. Independent Brewers Association. They've got a great uh, resource to their members, and uh, it's the the IBA uh, labeling guide. So those guidelines are just, you know, yep. if you've got that guidebook, follow it, you'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. It's Everything a fantastic resource. Yeah. It is a, it yeah. is a pretty awesome resource. It's yeah. been updated a couple of times, I think. So it's um, it's certainly one to watch if, if you're getting out yeah. there and putting putting labels on beer cans for sure. And the DIB also has a uh, recall protocol for all its members. So you can actually then basically it's, – it's like a, a plug-and-play uh, – follow the protocol they'll give you all the instructions and how to set up a um, basically just get you get the business ready for a recall so not just and i think it's like i said it's 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 the kind of um, thing you want to have to you you need to know now that you can do it you don't want to be trying to figure out how to do a recall when you got to do a recall mm. yeah the, just, the mock yeah. recall comes back into the mix um yeah you know doing that live every three or six months and you know your logistics team just shoots themselves in the head, but it's it's good value. <laughs> I I think it's a really worthwhile process. It, as tough as it is, uh, you learn so much about your uh, you know, your processes. Uh, how many how many people when you ask that question say, "Yeah, we did one three months ago and we had a had a fantastic result." <laughs> um, Marcus, I think I would have spoken to one of your guys on it that uh, and. They were actually, uh, she was, yeah, she was driving the, the mock recall mm-hmm. and she was very happy with it. Yeah. So I think uh, overall, the, the, the brewers I do talk to that do do it, uh, learn so much from it. Uh, it's basically a practice run. 
you 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 know it's the the great thing is you you randomly pick a product from a particular somebody within the business randomly chooses a product particular batch kit uh date and gives an issue and then it's you know it's basically then timers on how quickly can we track where all that product's gone who did we sell it to and you know what how much did we sell etc you know that's knowing that you've got that level of capability in your business to be able to do that uh is yeah it's 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 the kind of thing that you know it gives you a good night's sleep um i think then you know having your communication plan in place you know i would where who would we talk to um, knowing you know what what the requirements are all the way through from you know start to finish um it's it's a it you know it's it's a high pressure situation if you are undertaking a, a recall and having that practice in place obviously you know it just makes it uh, so much less stressful and ensures that when you've got it completed that uh, you won't you're not going to miss anything and you're going to execute it well so where do you guys see the next hurdles for for brewers and and food safety and withdrawals is it is it low alcohol is it all these yeah, new yeah, ingredients reckon, that we're seeing? I reckon, uh, yeah, with the the, the the particularly the the, the non alp beers, uh, definitely uh, one to be uh, aware of and manage accordingly. You know, uh, like I said, with HACCP, you 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 figure out what hazards you, you've got. You you work out what 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 potentially can go wrong at any step of the process, and then you got your uh, control measures in place. Uh, you've got a corrective action plan that you you know this is what I'll, I'll do in the event of uh, it, you know, losing control somewhere in the process. Um, you know, fitting that uh, you know pathogen hazard now into your, into the mix is 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 pretty critical. And you then you really got to be asking yourself what what are you doing uh, with your product to ensure that it that issue isn't isn't going to be an issue. I think that's really good advice. Really good advice. And if you're adding smashed avo, <laughs> <laughs> that's real. That's that's a beer. Oh, I know. <laughs> this these things concern me, but yeah, um, yeah. I, but, I, I don't I know how big you, a, I don't know how big an issue they're really going to cause. But we seem yeah. to be adding just anything and everything into beers these days. I would never want to stem uh, creativity. I think no, that's no. Uh, you know, there's a reason we've got such a great selection of beers. We today than we had say even twenty years ago, when you know it was just a couple of lagers, etc. Uh, you you know I think yeah there was a couple maybe a dark ale and yeah great what, what that's something different. But now you you look on what's in the market and it's just it's amazing, and I I'd, I'd certainly prefer have that than back what we had twenty years ago. Absolutely, and I think then, we're changing the perception of beer for good on the whole. Yeah. Uh, there's probably some exceptions. So we're willing to yeah. willing to carry a whole lot more risk, like a no, huge amount. No, but, but like I said, with the HACCP, what is what is HACCP all about? It's actually uh, risk mitigation. Yeah, you 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 you're, you're not going into it blind. Like you you your your eyes wide open. You look around. Okay, right, that would be a concern there. Right, I need to put a corrective plan, a, a control in place there that ensures that that's not going to the the hazard I've identified that could occur there, I, I ensure it won't occur. You know, it's as, as much as, you know, like a good example would be um, foreign matter in your product. I've, okay, great. I've got a filter. So anything before yeah. that, 
hits that filter that from there on then there's potential for it to uh that that would be that might even be my critical control point because that's the last point of uh control i have for that particular hazard but right there up until that point if uh, something did get into the into the line i know that's going to uh filter that that, that filter is going to protect it so i think then you know you you just look at each of your hazards you, and that's like the again the beautiful thing about uh HACCP, there is a bit of work to it, but following the process of you know, there's I think seven steps you gotta you gotta seven follow principles, through. yeah, yeah, the seven principles. Hassan, you you're really learning so much more about your process and challenging yourself of okay, if this could happen, what should I do? And doing that, and then doing the putting the controls in place. So yeah, I've got this great, you know, quite a, a an amazing new product out there, and it's you know it's got X ingredients, X, Y, and Z. If you've done the homework, you understand what could go wrong, and then it's kind of coming back and going, okay, right, maybe I do, I'll do this. Like the, the example, like we said about the whole back, yeah, I've got a positive release, so I actually won't release the beer into market until my micro results come back, and if my micro results are, I'm whatever uh that tells me it's in spec then it can go if i pick up then there's a micro issue there i don't release it i'm not going to ever have to do a recall i've got to call the issue then i need to go back and really understand what happened what did occur if i can't get a safe product to market then i just shouldn't release it so i think the key thing is creativity is great but just make a safe product that's it What's your um, this? This is a little bit off topic, but what what are your feelings on the the caveat type labeling, where you know the, the store like milk kind of model, or they may have a whole bunch of crap in the bottom kind of model? Yeah, I don't know. Is it, from a customer perspective, um, I suppose what does the customer think? And if the, I think the store like milk is yeah, it, it's good advice. But I certainly wouldn't say it's uh, it, it's worthy of saying, oh, no, I, I told you. So um, it's it, it, the issue sits with you. I think you still, you know, as a food manufacturer, uh, you've got the responsibility to ensure the product is safe. That is it. Uh, telling somebody, oh, you well, you know, because no, the reality is we know that we're, we're not using a milk supply chain for beer, in, 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 uh, particularly in Australia. If we were, then you know, and it was that was the given, and that was the expectation. Brewers, uh, retailers, cu- customers had that. You know, if you you look at your milk supply chain, if I was to say, oh yeah, right, that leg from say we're sending it from Brisbane to Sydney or whatever, that we'll just send it ambient, it just wouldn't happen because of that food safety risk. So I think um, you know, it's like it, with the secondary fermentations, it was a new thing uh back a couple of years ago we've i suppose become more aware and that's probably even why uh that awareness has actually ensured that if an issue is identified that the brewers are now taking the required action let's be professional let's be uh respectful to our customers uh we've got a product that you know we the obligation is to ensure that whatever whenever we put a product into market whenever we sell a product that it is safe that's the minimum I think, uh, you know, making sure that that's the case and then taking the responsibility to ensure that you do get the product into market in that condition, uh, that's the resp- that is definitely a, a critical role of the, the brewer. Great advice, Dermot. Fantastic. Uh, your knowledge is 
is always awesome on the quality side. So it's really – and hopefully uh, this podcast helped to reduce uh, the workload in your team as well. Um, <laughs> it's not that funny, is it? <laughs> it it's true. I mean, it, more people that have got knowledge of, of food safety and you know, quality then follows. I mean, food safety and quality almost go together. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for your time, Dermot. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks, thanks, Marks. I think it's really been a great conversation. No, thanks, Marks. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, David. You can download a full transcript of this conversation with links to other information in the show notes to this episode. Brewery Pro content is presented by Brews News and is designed for the brewing industry professional. If you have any suggestions for topics that we can cover, email us at cheers at brewsnews.com.au. Thank you for listening. <laughs>